What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the John McDonald Reading Room in the... Jill Schwartz Memorial Library. This is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black. I've had an incident. I mean, I I feel like I had another another incident. I've had some incidents. Last night, the incident was we had some pot roast. Martha made a pot roast. Delicious. But at the end of it, for some reason, it felt as though somebody had punched me in the face, like just in one tooth. One of my teeth is now in a matter of some distress, inexplicably. I mean, look, my teeth are not great. I've already lost two of them. I have not replaced them. So if you were to French kiss me and you were to probe my mouth with your tongue, you would discover two gaps matching teeth on opposite sides of my mouth, upper left and upper right. And now I'm worried I'm going to lose a third and I can't keep losing teeth. But all night I struggled with the pain, took some Advil. It really, it just, it's it's a strange sensation. It really just feels like somebody socked me in the mouth. I don't know what's causing it. I don't know how to remedy it other than to go to the dentist. And then the dentist is going to say, I'm going to have to take out your tooth. And I'm going to say, oh, dear. That's probably exactly how I'll say it. Oh, dear. And I'll feel terrible about it. And I'll insist that the dentist knocks me unconscious before uh, the procedure takes place. Because if you're going to get your tooth out, you know, you might as well get drugged. So that's one incident that happened last night. And then Another incident that happened today was I mentioned, I think, that I've been trying to eat better, right? Trying to shed some of this COVID weight that I have amassed over the past two years, mostly the result of Hint of Lime Tostitos and various kinds of Briar's ice cream. Okay. Well, that's been going fine. Uh, I also joined a gym. I've been going to the gym. And it's been somewhat gratifying to see, you know, the scale go down. 
But today at the gym, I don't know if this is in conjunction with my tooth hurting and the fact that I couldn't sleep well. I don't know what is going on with me. But after my workout, I went into the sauna as I like to do because I like I like saunas. I like that hot, dry heat. I like to just relax in the sauna after a workout. I like to sweat it out. I love it. And I always go to the sauna. Not always, but almost always. Well, at the conclusion of my session in the sauna, I, uh, I arose as I, as I do and found myself on the verge of blacking out. Now, was it the dehydration from the sauna? Was it that I worked too hard? Was it the fact that I worked out in a fasted state? Was it the fact that I hadn't slept very well? I don't know. So then I went into the shower, you know, thinking, oh, some cool water will help me out. I kind of stumbled into the shower, you know, and then uh, put, the, put the shower on and was trying to cool myself off. And then found the lights in the shower growing ever brighter, the sparkles uh, emerged behind my eyeballs. And I thought to myself, I better sit down here in the gym shower. That's a place you don't want to ever put your bare bottom. Don't you think on the gym floor shower? And then when I was, uh, seated on, in the shower stall, trying to prevent myself from losing consciousness, I thought, hey, you know what might even be better, Michael, is if you laid down in the fetal position on the shower floor. So that is what I did. I let the cool water envelop me on the shower floor. I don't know what I caught. Almost certainly tetanus, almost certainly syphilis, Almost certainly any ringworm, any variety of diseases I caught in that moment, laying prone in the fetal position, trying not to black out on the shower floor. And then um, to make matters not worse, I would say, but slightly more humiliating, I found myself in need of urination and um, positioned as I was it was clear that if I urinated, it was going to be all over myself. And I thought, well, let's do that then. I'm in the shower, you know, it's not so bad, but I, I, I relieved myself on myself in the fetal position on the floor of the shower in the gym and, uh, and, and, and just prayed, prayed, one, that nobody would discover me. And two, that if I gave it enough time, I would be okay. Because I certainly wasn't going to ask for help. I certainly wasn't going to call out, help, help. Because I'm already, you know, the most enfeebled person at that gym. There, there's no chance I was going to summon any aid or assistance. It was really a case of, well, I'll pass out or I won't pass out, or I'll die, or I won't die, but it's all going to happen on its own. I'm, I'm going to do this by myself. After what seemed like a very long time, certainly longer than I have ever spent in the shower at the public gym, I got to my feet, turned off the shower, started toweling myself off, and really didn't feel much better at all. <laughs> really did not 
get, I mean, I really, th- so I made my, I made my way from the shower into the locker room and there's a big fan floor fan set up in the locker room because the air conditioning in the gym is broken. And I thought, well, I'll just position myself in front of this fan and sit in a chair and wait for the sparkles to clear again. And, and maybe in this position, wrapped in a towel, seated in the chair, I could ask somebody that I kind of recognized to get me a Gatorade. But there was nobody that I kind of recognized enough to ask for that favor. So I just sort of sh- sh- uh, sat huddled shivering, uh, sparkled, waiting for this feeling to subside. It took probably 15 or 20 minutes. I did manage to get dressed. I did manage to go upstairs. It's a basement gym. I did manage to walk to the CVS, which is right across the street, got myself a Gatorade, and somehow, happily, I sit here before you now uh, you may notice the audio quality is different. I have been trying to remedy my audio situation, but here we are back at Wuthering Heights where we are learning the history of our Heathcliff, our beloved, beloved Heathcliff, who was brought into the home by Mr. Earnshaw, no more than a street urchin, something out of a Dickens novel. You know, and, and Oliver twist his hair, must up, speaking gibberish, no parents, no home to speak of. And Earnshaw decided to bring him home with him, which is not something you would presumably do in today's culture. But I guess back then in America, where this story takes place, it made a little bit more sense. The Earnshaw children, uh, Hindley, and Kathy do not take to Heathcliff right away because in uh, they, they were promised presents from their father, and, uh, well, that didn't happen. So uh, it's Mrs. Dean, who's Lockwood's housekeeper, who is relating this story, and that is why you're going to hear me do a funny voice. So the last thing we heard was, she showed her humor by grinning and spitting at the stupid little thing. That's Kathy spitting at Heathcliff, which I like a lot, earning for her pains a sound blow from her father to teach her cleaner manners. And so, let us pick up with Wuthering Heights, Chapter 4. They entirely refused to have it in bed with them or even in their room, and I had no more sense, so I put it on the landing of the stairs, hoping it might be gone on the morrow. (laughs) He just put a kid on the landing of the stairs, hoping it's just going to disappear in the morning. It also doesn't seem like the safest place to have a kid, you know? I mean, I'm picturing Heathcliff maybe eight years old, seven years old, and, you know, sleeping in a strange environment. It's possible he could just take a tumble down the stairs and die. But Mrs. Dean apparently didn't think of that or didn't care. By chance, or else attracted by hearing his voice, it crept to Mr. Earnshaw's door, and there he found it on quitting his chamber. Inquiries were made as to how it got there. I was obliged to confess, and in recompense for my cowardice and inhumanity, was sent out of the house. Well, yeah, as you should have been, Mrs. Dean. Cowardice and inhumanity both. I'm surprised you weren't fired for that offense. The child could have been injured. 
This was Heathcliff's first introduction to the family. On coming back a few days afterwards, for I did not consider my banishment perpetual, I found they had christened him Heathcliff. It was the name of a son who had died in childhood, and it has served him ever since, both for Christian and surname. Oh, so he's like Madonna. He only has one name, and it's Heathcliff. Now, I'm just going to crank up the old research machine here and look for the etymology of the name Heathcliff. Heathcliff, etymology. All right, let's see what... Uh, the name Heathcliff is a boy's name of English origin, meaning cliff near a heath. Well, that is absurd. That is the most preposterous and literal thing I could have imagined. A cliff near a heath. Okay, fine. It was chosen by fashionista Lucy Sykes for her son and inspired the late Heath Ledger's name. I, I don't care. Probably, uh, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a popular name. That shouldn't surprise anybody, but it's ranked number 20,768 of names. Um, but that's what they call them. Cliff near a heath. Okay, fine. Now I feel stupid because I don't know what a heath is. It's a field? Is that what it is? A heath is a... It's an area of open, uncultivated land, especially in Britain with characteristic vegetation of heather, gorse, and coarse grasses. Um, okay, fine. Oh, I'm just stretching here. Oh, gosh, we've gotten almost nowhere in this book so far. Um, but I do need to stretch. Oh, my tooth. My tooth. Oh. Miss Kathy and he were now very thick. After only a couple days, I guess they're very thick. Okay, that's fine. We knew they were going to fall in love. And I guess as uh, Mrs. Dean was out, the two children became fast friends. Very good. But Hindley hated him. And to say the truth, I did the same. And we plagued and went on with him shamefully. For I wasn't reasonable enough to feel my injustice, and the mistress never put in a word on his behalf when she saw him wronged. He seemed a sullen, patient child, hardened, perhaps, to ill treatment. He would stand Hindley's blows without winking or shedding a tear, and my pinches moved him only to draw in a breath and open his eyes, as if he had hurt himself by accident and nobody was to blame. So they're not just being mean to him, they're physically... <laughs> <laughs> physically abusing poor Heathcliff. And, I mean, okay, Hindley Earnshaw, the 14-year-old, you know, you could give him some slack, I guess, but the housekeeper, you know, Mrs. Garrett, you just feel like, well, the, you know, you're not teaching him the right facts of life. He, he was welcomed into this home by the master of the house, and you have no business pinching him and striking him. This endurance made old Earnshaw furious when he discovered his son persecuting the poor fatherless child, as he called him. He took to Heathcliff strangely, believing all he said. For that matter, he said precious little and generally the truth. And petting him up far above Cathy, who was too mischievous and wayward for a favorite. So from the very beginning, he bred bad feeling in the house. And at Mrs. Earnshaw's death which happened in less than two years after, 
the young master had learnt to regard his father as an oppressor. Oh, wait, wait, what? He bred bad feeling in the house. The young master had learnt to regard his father as an oppressor rather than a friend. And Heathcliff as a usurper of his father's affections and his privileges. And he grew bitter with brooding over these injuries. Oh, so they're talking about Hindley, the young master Hindley, not the young master Heathcliff, because Heathcliff will never be the master except that now he is. Because I guess everybody died and what have you. And... Oh, I'm out of breath. I, you know, I, I'm still perhaps a bit faint. You know, I got the vapors at the gym today and my tooth is mewling and I am sleepy and oh, I think I need a break. All right, I'm going to take just a moment and we will be back in a moment here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back on Obscure, uh, a tale of child abuse confessed by Mrs. Dean, the housekeeper at the guest house where Lockwood is staying. And she seems to really have very few compunctions about her behavior earlier in her life. Maybe she has made peace with Heathcliff. Maybe not. Um, if, it, if I was Heathcliff, I don't know why she, I don't know why I would still have her in my employ. He is the master of Wuthering Heights and the lands and grounds and guest cottages surrounding. I don't know why, but Hindley Earnshaw is, uh, you know, the young master hates the dad now because the dad seems to prefer Heathcliff to him. Mrs. Dean continues. 
I sympathized a while, but when the children fell ill of the measles, and I had to tend them, and take on me the cares of a woman at once, I changed my ideas. Heathcliff was dangerously sick, and while he lay at the worst, he would have me constantly by his pillow. I suppose he felt I did a good deal for him, and he hadn't the wit to guess that I was compelled to do it. However, I will say this. He was the quietest child that ever nurse watched over. The difference between him and the others forced me to be less partial. Kathy and her brother harassed me terribly. He was as uncomplaining as a lamb, though hardness, not gentleness, made him give little trouble. Right. That's how I am, you know? Because after I did, you know, I spent some time upstate in the pen, and... uh one of the things you learn in the clink real quick is, you know, the squeaky wheel may get the grease on the outside world, but in the in, in inside, squeaky wheel gets a beat down real quick. Squeaky wheel gets shift. You gotta be, you know, you keep you keep your problems to yourself in there. Or you you know, you you figure out how to solve them. But you don't ask for help. That's why I was on the shower floor, you know, not asking for help. Same thing when I found myself on the shower floor in the, in the pokey. That's never a good situation either. He got through, and the doctor affirmed it was in a great measure owing to me and praised me for my care. <laughs> I was vain of his commendations and softened towards the being by whose means I earned them, and thus Hindley lost his last ally. Still, I couldn't dote on Heathcliff, and I wondered often what my master sought to admire so much in the sullen boy, who never, to my recollection, repaid his indulgence by any sign of gratitude. He was not insolent to his benefactor, he was simply insensible, though knowing perfectly the hold he had on his heart, and conscious he had only to speak, and all the house would be obliged to bend to his wishes." Heathcliff is an interesting cat, yeah? I mean, and we understand that, yes, there is also a cartoon cat named Heathcliff. And I have neglected to mention that fact to this point because that is lowbrow entertainment and this is a highbrow podcast. And um, of the many cartoon cats that have existed, I think we can agree Heathcliff is the worst. He's just a garbage cartoon character. You know, just a slovenly, no good, unfunny cartoon character. And look, Heathcliff fans out there, I apologize if I am offending your sensibilities, but I have to call them like I see them. You know, Heathcliff is just nothing. There's nothing memorable about Heathcliff. He's just a smart alecky tomcat who I feel like just goes around causing trouble and trying to pick fish bones out of the garbage cans. and He's an alley cat. It's terrible. And maybe that's why Heathcliff the cat was named as he was, because Heathcliff, the uh, literary character, the Bronte creation, was also something of an alley cat. Gruff like the feline version, though better mannered by the time we meet him. As an instance... I remember Mr. Earnshaw once bought a couple of colts at the parish fair and gave the lads each one. Heathcliff took the handsomest, but it soon fell lame, and when he discovered it, he said to Hindley, 
You must exchange horses with me. I don't like mine, and if you won't, I shall tell your father of the three thrashings you've given me this week, and show him my arm, which is black to the shoulder. Hindley put out his tongue and cuffed him over the ears. You'd better do it at once, he persisted, escaping to the porch. They were in the stable. You will have to, and if I speak of those blows, you'll get them again with interest. Off, dog! cried Hindley, threatening him with an iron weight used for weighing potatoes and hay. Throw it, he replied, standing still, and then I'll tell how you boasted that you would turn me out of doors as soon as he died, and see whether he will not turn you out directly. Hindley threw it, (laughs) hitting him on the breast, and down he fell, but staggered up immediately, breathless and white, and had I not prevented it, He would have gone just so to the master, and got full revenge by letting his condition plead for him, intimating who had caused it. "'Take my colt, Gypsy, then,' said young Earnshaw, "'and I pray that he may break your neck. Take him, and be damned, you beggarly interloper, and wheedle my father out of all he has. Only afterwards show him what you are, imp of Satan, and take that. I hope he'll kick out your brains.' Heathcliff had gone to loose the beast and shift it to his own stall. He was passing behind it when Hindley finished his speech by knocking him under its feet and without stopping to examine whether his hopes were fulfilled, ran away as fast as he could. I was surprised to witness how coolly the child gathered himself up and went on with his intention, exchanging saddles and all and then sitting down on a bundle of hay to overcome the qualm which the violent blow occasioned before he entered the house. I persuaded him easily to let me lay the blame of his bruises on the horse. He minded little what tale was told, since he had what he wanted. He complained so seldom, indeed, of such stirs as these, that I really thought him not vindictive. I was deceived completely, as you will hear. End of chapter 4. So... In all of chapter four, we have been conditioned through Mrs. Dean's tale to feel some measure of sympathy for Heathcliff. We are, we understand the circumstances of his being brought into the Earnshaw household. We understand the complexity, the relationships between the children now, which are precarious at best. And, you know, we're on Heathcliff's side until this last sentence. I really thought him not vindictive. I was deceived completely, as you will hear. Well, you'd be vindictive too, wouldn't you? You're brought into this house you didn't ask to be brought into. You're abused by the children of the house, by the housekeeper of the house. You almost die from the measles. You'd be, I mean, you know, how much is a lad supposed to take? Yeah, there is something of the Frankenstein monster about Heathcliff is there not. A guileless being brought into a world not of his own asking and abused from the moment of his arrival. There are clearly some differences. For one thing, Heathcliff and Kathy make fast friends. And Heathcliff is able to engender some sympathy for his plight, unlike the monster. But we see how the harshness of life and the treatment by others, maltreatment by others, can warp anyone's nature. 
But he's an outsider too. I mean, he's, a, he's, he's described as a gypsy. The dark hair, the dark skin, the monster, also clearly a physical being, an outsider, uh, more so, clearly, than Heathcliff. That goes without saying, but I said it. There, I said it. Uh, well, I'm kind of tempted to, to let off here. I mean, we've, we've come to the end of chapter four. So maybe we will stop. I mean, at such a good ending point. I mean, deception, vindictiveness. It hurts even to talk. I mean, and, and I don't have a dentist. And I'm afraid of the dentist. I'm afraid of the dentist in a kind of cliched way but probably more than most people are afraid of the dentist. I've gotten better about it over the years, but I still harbor a terrible fear of a dentist, in particular a dentist I don't know. I don't want to end up in a little shop of horror scenario. And I don't know, I don't know if, I don't know what dental training is like here in the South. Do they even train dentists here? Or is it still, you know, the, the method where you tie a, a string around a tooth and then slam a door on it? Is that the way they practice dentistry in the South? Or is that just my northern prejudice showing? I suspect the latter. Well, I do feel recovered from the gym, so that's a good thing. Uh, so I feel confident that I will at least survive uh, to next week to begin uh, to do another episode. I may not be capable of speech by that point because my tooth will either have been extracted, in which case I could be in some pain, or not, in which case I will probably be in even worse pain. Uh, so that's a cliffhanger of mine. The story itself has a cliffhanger. You have much to mull over as we consider next week's episode and so um yeah we'll be back with another uh you know orally challenged episode of obscure but until then i wish you adieu This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedren. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Ian Black. And get even more obscure content at our site, patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. Thank you for listening.